Welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for another episode of Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality today with a dash of recovery thrown in along the way. So if you're like most of us and you've had questions about your church, maybe become a bit jaded in your attitudes towards religion overall, I think you've come to the right place. Today we're looking at men, macho, and ministry. Do those three words go together? Our host, well, he's going he's gonna to maybe answer that question for us. He's an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, and planted three churches along the way. He also taught at a prestigious university and was teaching pastor at one of those big mega churches we all know. He was even an executive coach for a while, but now... Now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question. The one question on all our minds, all the time. Why? Why not bring him in? Dr. John Bash, welcome, sir. Thank you, Paul. I love the Socratic method. It's part of what makes me that aging curmudgeon you like to refer to me as. It went out of style a long time ago as the premier didactic tool of education. But I had the good fortune of having some professors who didn't drink the Kool-Aid of modern educational ease and still taught that way. One had to come to class prepared, knowing that the professor would likely challenge their knowledge and arguments for or against the issue under discussion. What do you think about that, Mr. Bash? Might come out of the professor's mouth at any moment, making daydreaming quite a perilous thing to do. I snuck in late to a special event one time, which was featuring one of those aforementioned professors. Pete, you knew him. His name was R.C. Sproul. And hundreds of people were in attendance. And as he was apt to do, he broke out into a Latin phrase to make a fine point, which always got people's attention, wondering if he had lost his mind. Like quoting Latin is going to make something clearer, right? In dramatic fashion, he turned his back on the audience and walked towards the blackboard that he would use long after they went out of style. Raising his hands in the air, he said, what does that mean, Bash? Now, this wasn't my church. I was a stranger there. and So much for my trying to sneak in late and being inconspicuous. And immediately turning 50 shades of red, I responded with a right answer from the middle of the crowd, wanting to sink through the floor, only having to have my professor make it worse. No, it means... And then he went on to say loudly with the microphone exactly what I had said. He was such a turkey. Well, what does that have to do with men and macho and ministry? I want to do a little bit of that Socratic method with our guest, even play the devil's advocate, if you will. Because really, in this day and age, to focus on men... Does this guy know how out of fashion that is? It's as bad as the Socratic method. Dr. Pete Owenson, California native, but has made Orlando home for decades, 
as a ministry to men that just keeps growing. And talk about bucking the trend. Doesn't he know that there just isn't much difference between men and women anymore? It's the 21st century. And in church, Betty believes that only men should be leaders and the Bible ought to keep its sexist language and that God has a beard and looks like a grandfather. Why in the world would someone focus on men and church in this day and age? How's that for an introduction, Pete? Welcome, Pete Alwyn. It's good to be here. I can see I'm in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) That's the idea. Let's do your resume. I usually try to fly through it, but let me just check with you. You got your undergrad degree locally at Biola, didn't you? Yeah, communications major at Biola University. Wow, communications. You didn't even dive into the hard stuff. Not really, no. I did take Greek at Biola, though, so had that. Uh. And then you got a three-year master's degree at some place called Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in the backwoods of Bannockburn, Illinois, right? (laughs) Right, man. We ran into each other there a couple of times. Did you notice that quote was from John Woodbridge? He loved to refer to being lost in the backwoods. But then you got your doctorate at Reform Seminary in Orlando, and you pastored churches you know, before I even jump into our subject, Pete, this is church hurts. Yeah. And you pastor enough churches, you know, tell me what a joy it is being a pastor. <laughs> John, I love it. Um, you know, it is. It's tough. Um, I, I left seminary and uh, took a church that had been planted 25 years before I got there dysfunctionally. And, and every dysfunction in the church was there. And so I thought, what have I gotten into? And so I left uh, up north and came down to Orlando to plant a church. And then I, after about two weeks, I'm walking the neighborhood at night thinking, I got to get out of here. I got to go back to California. And my wife is saying, what? We just got here. So, yeah, I panicked uh, a couple of times, man. It's uh was more okay, conflict he, in the local church than I ever thought. You just did the typical minister slip and slide. You just, you moved out of that. You didn't leave that church in New England because it was going so well, did you? <laughs> you know, I, it, like I said, every dysfunction you could ever imagine in a church. But, it, but there's probably a lot more dysfunction in me. And um, I just realized that I'm a, I'm a guy from Southern California. What in the heck am I doing in New England? I thought I was gonna, I thought I was gonna save New England, and and it didn't happen. And I thought I got to get to a culture that I can understand a little bit better. You know, I would love to go down that side road because, isn't it amazing that when you go back to New England, and it really is like a different country. If you're from California, yeah, man, man, it's a different world. It, it might as well have a different flag and all that kind of stuff, right? And church-wise, here's where all these established churches, here's where the Puritans were from. Here were these great churches, and they're all empty. I know. Absolutely amazing. Across the street from me uh, was a family related to the guy who did the maps in Cotton Mather's great work, uh, the great works of Christ in America. So wow. they were the people who stayed uh, in, in there, but the churches were empty. Yeah. Well, all right. So now men, Pete, man, what's the deal? 
<laughs> you, you're, not, you're not a pastor of a church. You're leading these big Christian groups of men. Why? You, you know, it really comes from my story, uh, which growing up in Southern California, my parents divorced when I was 10. Quite frankly, I was glad my dad was gone because mm. he scared the heck out of me. Uh, and, um, and, and, and it was nice having him gone, but I, I had no idea what it meant to be a man. And for some reason, that was sort of my journey, John, that figure it out and Boy Scouts helped and, um, doing hiking in Southern California mountains and Boy Scout leaders that were Christians and they kind of modeled manhood, but I sort of been on that journey all my life to figure what is a man? Uh, Pete. Boy Scouts doesn't exist. It's gone. No, man. It's gone. It is. It's well, gone. It, it's it's yeah. way different. It's way no, different. it's gone. It's only Scouts now. Oh, oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. And did you know that before that, here's one for you. Do you know why the YMCA was started in England? Well, to reach young men. Yeah. Do you know why? Well, because... Well, probably, no, not exactly. Probably because the family was so dysfunctional. This is a good one for you. Go back to the 19th century and look, and the guys were getting soft and wimpy. And they were concerned that this wasn't a good fighting force. Mm-hmm. And that you anyway, it's a fascinating kind of route. So the YMCA, and then you got the Boy Scouts and all that. But, you know, I remember when you talk about that identity, it was now, I mean, it had to be over 20 years ago, the book came out, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And John Gray wrote this book. Actually, it was 1992. I wrote it down. It's yeah. the highest ranked work of fiction of the 1990s, spending of nonfiction. That's the funny thing. I think of it as fiction. But anyway, spending 120 weeks on the bestseller list. And I watched as Christian speakers picked up this message. They got big crowds. They got easy laughs. And I hate that stuff. And I bet you don't. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I, you know, men and women are different. I, I do believe that there's we are different. I, gender, I think, is God's idea. He created it. So we are different. Um, but, you, you know, one of the things I, I got Larry Crabb's book, uh, Men and Women, What's the Difference? And I read that whole thing. And, and he didn't he doesn't give his ideas about the differences between men and women until the very end. Most of all, he's talking about how selfish we are. Um, but true. but, you know, we are different. There are some differences. But, yeah, men are getting men are different today. And we could talk about that. But that get us in trouble if we do. Well, let me tell you why I didn't like it. OK, I didn't like it because. It was an easy, cheap laugh as a speaker. You could get easy laughs to kind of start giving those stereotypes. And the next thing I know, you're going to be telling me a story about driving in the car with your wife, and you didn't want to use a map. And she's like, honey, won't you use a map? And I knew where I was going, and I got lost. And I'd look at these stereotypes. Women are more sensitive. And get, and I looked in my own marriage, and I said, you know, this, this isn't ringing true. Hmm. I mean, I may come across like... Uh, you know, too overbearing of a turkey, but I was the one who wanted the sensitive conversations. And I wanted, I'd go down the list of the things that were supposedly feminine. And it, I was in a relationship where it wasn't working, that just didn't work, or the stereotypes. And we'll get into some stuff in a little bit, but the stereotypes of, of men doing something that some guys would come up to me and say, in my family, 
it's my wife who's doing that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know? No, I, I agree with you 100%. I think um, some of the, the stereotypes, the constructs of masculinity versus femininity were wrong. And uh, a lot of it is how were you raised and um, what is your temperament? I When I talk to guys, I talk about the myth of male simplicity uh, because we used to think women were complex and men were, were simple. You know, a lot of guys used to think that way. And that's just not true. We're all very complex uh, with a full range of issues that, that create that complexity. And I appreciate yeah. your honesty on that. Oh, that's good stuff, though. That's where it's coming from. It's like, you know, so many times we want to like now in the race stuff that's going on. Everybody, again, wants to start getting into the stereotypes. And I just want to say, you know, can we stop and deal with people as people? Yeah. Like, really, that happens to be a people issue. It's not a woman issue. Or, But for me, here's what happened, though. The disclaimer is I'm saying that. And yet I got accused of having a male oriented church. And I was I was just beginning this church, and it was growing like a weed, and and yet I got the accusation, well, you're so male-oriented. And I said, what does that mean exactly? Mm. And it came from the fact that people were used to going to churches, one, that weren't growing, and two, that were filled with women. Mm-hmm. And they came to my church, and they saw it was kind of an equal distribution of men and women. And they're like, oh, you must be so male-oriented. And then we'd get women who'd come in without their husbands who wouldn't come to church and say, I really want my husband to come to church. And I said, well, good. I take that as an assignment. The next thing you know, the husband's in the church and the wife's complaining that her husband's at church too much. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it just it kind of didn't fit. Um, so, but you have on your resume working with man in the mirror and that's another book that i you know it's just an amazing talk about a book that can just cut through to your heart mm-hmm. but it was a bit different from men are from mars women are from venus it was a yeah. different emphasis what is that well you know yeah man in the mirror really was a book that dealing with the 24 problems men face it was it was kind of like uh, but i have more than 24 problems i'm sure but you know <laughs> it was honest it was honest and dealing with our real issues and how we could grow and, and to me, that it, it did talk about a, a kind of manhood that God is really interested in. And, you know, your church experience was similar to mine in that sense that, that uh, one time I was talking to a, uh, a lady after church, and I said, why are you in our church? And she said, well, I liked another church, but my husband likes this one. I said, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, I, I think what you, what you do is... is you create because you're you're a guy guy, but you're th- this myth that a real man is not strong or wise or as a thinker. Um, we have a lot of false notions of what manhood ought to be, and so you set a man code. And men, well, I tell you, men can sniff it out right away. They know uh, if if they're welcome, and in a lot of churches, it's guys you're tolerated. You know, uh, we want your wife, we want your kids, and we want your money. (laughs) Mm. But you had set a tone like Jesus did, and I hope we did the same thing. Jesus really built men. Christianity started out, interestingly, sort of, as a movement of how can we really develop guys 
who will influence other people. Oh man, you you're gonna get in so much trouble. I, I can ju- I can just hear um, a very bright, sharp woman who just wants to turn off the radio and come oh. through it. I mean, all right, here at Church Transhand, and we take some time to talk honestly and take responsibility for how the church is messed up on this area. Mm-hmm. And um, so I want to take in a, a minute, just let me explain uh, something about that. I don't mean to apologize for the mistakes of the, the, the middle-aged people didn't have the mindset of the modern brain. It's getting old. We're all creatures of our time and our culture to some degree. But Pete, this issue of men and the church was like the last vestige in some ways of the stereotype of women being barefoot in the kitchen Mm. and the insensitive authoritarian head of the house with a paddle in his hand. You know, you're starting to sound like that. (laughs) No, and you're absolutely right. Those stereotypes are awful. Uh, You know, this idea of submission, which was radically taken out of context by the church, and we have to own that. And um, so, like every woman was submissive to every man, that's not what Ephesians in the New Testament teaches. Um, and, and mutual submission is what the Apostle Paul taught. So you're right. We have to say a lot of our forefathers, I don't think you and I maybe got it as wrong, because we, we got swatted about that early, early on. <laughs> that's true. It, it really is. It just was wrong, and it doesn't work, man. But I'm old enough to remember, you know, my mother in the skirt dress who still didn't have a car and still stayed home. And the Fuller Brush Man came by. (laughs) And, you know, so, but, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. And then I'm going to ask Paul to jump in here with us uh, right as I I do this. Because, um, you know, on the one hand, we have a cultural movement in our day. Um, of really getting away from what we're talking about, of such huge difference in functionality in terms of women in culture. And men aren't supposed to have this dominant male-driven culture. And then we end up with a book that comes out, Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, I know you're too spiritual to have read the book, but the (laughs) bottom line is, is all of a sudden, here's a book that puts out this character who's a really dominant man fulfilling this need in this woman's life, and it goes off the chart. It's like, wait a minute, we just got done learning that we, (coughs) excuse me, can't be that bad. Now we get a book out that says, yeah, but if you are, it's kind of cool. Do you deal with that kind of stuff? Are you talking to me or are you talking to Paul? <laughs> I'm talking to you. Paul's going to get you later. I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know, you know, really, I I don't. I you know, you're right. I didn't read the book, but I, I what I find particularly in the younger guys is that they're afraid to lead and uh, afraid to to be strong. I think I think most men today are so unaware. Uh, Christian men of how to lead their families and love their they're taking their cues from other people so John what I do teach is I teach that that there's the Bible gives us our clear identity in Christ as God's deeply beloved and redeemed son that's our core identity that never changes once you get that then what are our purposes and then I talk about how we're leaders worker providers 
and this will probably bother some people, but warrior ambassadors and how how there is a there is a, a, a toughness that we have to have, but not in leading our families. There has to be a real compassion as servant leaders in our family, but we have to lead. And most young men struggle with this. Um, that's what I'm finding rather than that uh, manipulative kind of guy that's uh, figured it out and is controlling everybody. What do you think, Paul? How how deep have we gotten in trouble here? <laughs> you guys are way into it here. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig it a little further for you here, here as I listen to this. I don't know what it means to be a man anymore, and I don't say that in a I don't say that in a confrontational tone. Like I, I really don't know what it means to be a man. We're supposed to have gotten to be more tender and soft. And I think that was always part of it we're not supposed to be like my dad and never say i love you and always never show pain and you know never never winch if you somebody hits you or something here that that was an extreme caricature but i grew up with it and so many of my generation did so once that was replaced i'm not sure we have a role model i don't know who we're supposed to be anymore we're and i i see so many guys trying to trying to be a father trying to be a uh, a, a loving partner trying to be involved in in children's lives, not like my father was, who just worked twelve hours a day, and I rarely saw him. I, I don't know. We don't know who who we are anymore, and I think that's why men are suddenly gravitating in multi churches. I'm a Catholic. Even in Catholic churches, there are more and more of these men's groups getting together, not to bash women, but to figure out who we are. Boy, I tell you, I agree with that hundred percent. Um, uh, in fact, one of my groups here in Orlando, I got half Catholic guys, <laughs> and um, I, I, I do think that you're absolutely right. We don't know what a man is anymore, and uh, and that's really what we're about. We, you know, John Eldridge really helped years ago talk about a man is wild at heart, right? <laughs> what 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 I think is that what Jesus does in, in the gospel is he helps us understand that a real man is free from his sins. But he also is dangerous to all of those things that destroy people. So a real man is free and dangerous. He has a a high view of life. He knows he's God's son, and he understands his purposes. Uh, That's sort of like the old Clint Eastwood, though. He's sort of free and footloose. He's free and dangerous. He goes where he wants. He does, but he follows his sort of internal code. He used to be a man's code, you know, the code of the West, and then later on, the code that I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, I don't know what the man's code is anymore here. Yeah. Well, and John, I, I don't, I'm not trying to dominate, but I, I would say <laughs> at this point that, that really Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is, that, is that model for us mm-hmm. um, as men. How and so? Really how, how so? I mean, I, I know Jesus surrounded himself with men, but that was the time when men were allowed to i think it would have been scandalous to have a woman following around a bunch of guys in those days they would have assumed she was mary magdalene and a prostitute or whatever here um so i don't know that there was a place for women to be followers i don't know if they were welcomed or wanted or whatever so i don't know if that was an intent or just to fit into the times but obviously surrounded himself with men yeah boy and that's a John, that's a deep one, isn't it? Well, I was just going to say, <laughs> I stumble if, on another if, one here. <laughs> if you're anything like me, you're you're starting to picture the paintings of Jesus, and and I'm filtered. I'll type it. 
I get tongue-tied on this because can't you can't you just visualize throughout the centuries the various paintings and images of Jesus, and it tends to be that they don't really have the masculine thing. We can talk about it was the cultural thing where Jesus was really radical was where he treated the way he treated women, and we could really go off on on that. It, it, but um, you don't have that image of Jesus uh, from the Sunday school kind of literature and from a lot of it. It's more the gentle Jesus holding the sheep. It's not the, it's not Jesus clearing the temple. We don't have a lot of those paintings. No, no. you don't think of warrior Jesus, you know, that I think they wanted him to be that way. Some people at the time wanted him to be the warrior to clean, knock out the Kings and you know, all that stuff. And, no, absolutely. No, you're right. And I think you're right that his disciples would have been mostly men culturally. and But there were a lot of women in the broader mm-hmm. um, cultural environment uh, right around there that hung out with him in the, in, the, in the larger crowd. And they were supporters. And that's always been, been the way. And John's right. The way, the way um, Jesus treated women was different. But look at Jesus. Think of him. He really fits what I think are the biblical. He was a leader. Mm-hmm. He was he, he he was a guy that called it as it was, pretty much a straight shooter. He was very compassionate with true sinners who came and admitted their their stuff. Um, he would have loved he would have loved the recovery groups today. He'd have been yeah, there. Right, I mean, right. right? Because because if you admit your stuff, he's there. He's all over it. You play games though. Jesus was straight out a hypocrite. Uh, I mean, a hard, hard on the hypocrites. Yes, right. And there's nobody harder on the hypocrites than Jesus. Called them whitewashed tombs. And so there's a real manliness that he exhibits there that a lot of men today are afraid to say, hey, that's wrong, and you're playing a game. Well, and that's what social media has brought out more than anything, whether it's on a podcast like this or videocast or uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, the buzzwords you hear all the time that, that play well are genuine, real, authentic, and vulnerable. If you really get vulnerable, which wasn't a manly quality in my, my day and age, right. uh, and, but truth and honesty was, at least to my father and men like that. Um, and yet we play fast and footloose with the truth, so many of us today here, politically, mm. socially, business-wise, everything here. We, we, if we can get away with it, we do. The, the, I don't know. It's a different world. Yeah, man, I'd love to get down that track. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to do one thing before right. i got to wrap up, because we're running out of time. Yep. And, you know, Pete, the one thing that just we got to be honest about is the whole thing of talking about God as Father. There are people who had some really bad dads and it's made it very hard for them to have a concept of god when you get father in there and one of the reasons for that has to do with anger and and i can't talk about that subject without owning the fact that i can tell you some stories where i lost it in my family context and i just i mean if i had kept behaving that way I, I can't imagine what my kids would be like. It came a point in time where I had to say, no, never again. Because those explosive sense of a man wanting to be strong, but being so weak, all they can do is blow up. Yeah, right. 
Do you deal with that? Because oh. it's still the hidden secret in families, isn't it? It, it absolutely is. And, John, I, 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 you lanced the boil. If every man would, you know, when I'm trying to get to know a guy, I'll say, I'll say hey, tell me about your father. Hmm. And, and, and that's, that's sort of the entree because that says everything. Um, we, you, we absolutely do struggle with God the Father. Um, and most men say, you know, Christians, Christians say have a personal relationship with God. Most of us never had a personal relationship with our dads, so we don't know how to transfer that to God the Father. And yet Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven. So the, the amazing thing is uh, about being a Christian, this is what's changed me. My dad, my dad was 42 and a World War II vet. He didn't want, any, he didn't want a squirrely little boy running around, and he didn't develop me at all. I had to try to figure it out. Um, but, but, but one day I figured out by God's grace that God wanted to be my father and that Jesus was the way that I could get God to be my father. And then God, the father was available to me 24, seven, 365. That was the game changer. I had a father now and, and that's what, what Christ has done. And he's been the one that's been sort of a dealing lancing the boil on my anger too and helping me break the cycle in being a dad myself as he has with you and uh, and you wrote a book you wrote a book on it what, what's the title of it like father um like like father like son how knowing god as father changes men and uh, it really does it's the game changer yeah, and that's just you know you tell that story. It's you you know those listening it, go find that book by Pete. And and I wish I could go there uh, because the relationship of father and son is a whole nother dynamic that mm. that we could talk about, and it's so yeah. special to both of us, um, as you know. But let me just um, let's kind of wrap up here. And um, at the time this show is airing. Uh, the world is in a frenzy over two issues, the virus called Corona and race. And it, it seemed to me like kind of a treat here to talk about something else for a minute. Mm. But like most other people, those things are still filtering my views. And, and there's something I've noticed. The virus doesn't care much about what race you are. And your race doesn't change if you're a man or a woman. Now, I know there are people out there who think they can choose their gender, and there are even those who feel like they can self-identify their race. But I want to speak with a little bit more common sense. No matter how many ways we can slice and cut and parse and distinguish, men and women are different. Every race has them, men and women, really. And in every race and every culture, women struggle with men and the things men like to excuse because they are men. Mm. In my day, being a man meant a lot of things that weren't so much written down as they were intuited and taught. Men were to be strong, macho, unafraid, preferably athletic, and hopefully developed facial hair at an early age. The one thing a man did not want <laughs> anyone to see was their weakness or insecurity so they did everything they could to you know to hide it and often that took the form of anger even explosive anger and i'm rather glad 
repeat that those days are fading. Mm. I'm glad being a man can now mean facing my fears, not hiding from them. I'm sorry, very sorry for some who faced their fears on the battlefield and won and then refused to face their fears in real life and turn to the bottle or other things the way my father did. I'm also thankful for a God who created us. Male and female, he created us wonderfully and fearfully made, we're told, like amazing stuff. I'm glad today. I'm glad for men like you who are looked up to by a lot of men. And uh, you teach that God isn't a man, that God is God. In the Bible, we learn a lot about us, creatures, male and female, and what God expects from us, female and male. It can be scary at times, but it can be wonderful, too. So if you're feeling a bit confused about God today, overwhelmed by all the things you think you need to do to be a deeper and more spiritual person, remember this, won't you? It's from a guy in the Old Testament, a prophet, and he said, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And sometimes that means not having it all figured out is a step in the right direction. Humility now. It's worth a thought. For Church Earth and this is John Bash. Love somebody today, won't you? And enjoy God. And with that, we come to the close of another edition of Church Hurts and with more questions than maybe we entered with. So if you'd like to continue the conversation with our guest, Pete Allenson, you can find his book and a lot more at Forge Truth. ForgeTruth.com. Or you can tune into our guest host today, Dr. John Bash. He's a shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of giving up. If you'd like to find out how you can carry on and fight the good fight, then come visit us more at Church Hurts and and tell us your story. Why you're there, won't you? Because remember, this isn't the end of the story. It's just the beginning. Thank you.